Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast. How are you guys doing tonight? Stupendous. Whoa. You just—that's his rhyming word. You know what? Stupendous, Looks horrendous. This is bad. Stupendous this is, fake. is good. You know what? We were just talking about Tim buying a new van, <laughs> and I was just like, "We got to record." And I was like, three, <laughs> two, and he's still talking about vans. He doesn't want to uh, drive over to Carroll to get a new van. I'm not getting one. I don't know what's going to happen. I hate buying vehicles. Vehicles are are really the bane of everyone's existence. They really hey, are. I hate snow. You hate vehicles. We all hate things. That's okay. My truck's fenders are all out of practice, let me just tell you. So right in the theme of hate, Get it, Rusty. we're actually going to talk about love in <laughs> He's not even episode. acknowledging. That was a good joke. He won't even acknowledge it. Rusty, out of practice. I didn't get it. That was really good. You had to explain it. So to, in this episode, He's not even... <laughs> I'm going to talk about C.S. Lewis's four loves, but... Stupendous. <laughs> we are so... Something's happening tonight. I don't know what's going on. Must be something down in this basement that we're all sniffing in or something. I don't know. <laughs> we're definitely smelling something. <sighs> okay, so in this episode, I'm going to talk about C.S. Lewis's four loves. But before we do that, we have some Thinklings business to tend to. Oh, yeah. Books and business, Books man. and business. <laughs> I have a book. I have a book, guys. It looks horrendous. Yeah, so as you heard last week, I've been doing a lot of reading on hermeneutics and preaching for my doctor ministry modules coming up in June. This book is Preaching Christ from the Old Testament, a Contemporary Hermeneutical Method by Sidney Gradanis. And it's a lot like Brian Chappell's um, Christ-Centered Preaching. I would say it gets a little bit more technical in some things. Uh, but overall, I would still say he kind of whiffs on, like, you have to preach Christ from all these Old Testament passages. I thought it was Chappelle. But when I think of Chappelle, I don't think of you Brian. Think of Dave, I don't think you? of Dave Chappelle. Yeah. But anyway, Maybe yeah. So it's kind of the run of the mill. Like you need to preach Christ from every every text in the Old Testament, and he, I do think he has some good parts of it. Especially he has some historical segments where he talks about what early church hmm. fathers did. He walks through hermeneutical methods of uh, like early church in the medieval period, which I thought was really fascinating. Uh, but overall, I would I would maybe not agree with his conclusions that you do need to find Christ in a lot of these Old Testament passages. But yeah, so I, I would say it's a good book just to get you, I like, I really like the histor- historical section. And so I would put it low on the Thinkling's goodness scale, but I would still put it on there. So like maybe like a, like a two. Okay, so like one to three is, you're glad you read it. You're yeah, not going to buy it, it. That historical, well, I've already bought you, it. So. You're, you're glad you've read it, but you're not going to read it necessarily multiple you're times. You're welcome, Faith Bookstore, already bought it. Um, and so, yeah, I might, I might go back and read it again, Okay, but it would be a scholarly endeavor. It wouldn't be a, oh, I like this. Nourishing. It's helpful to me. Yeah. Well, I'm bringing a productivity book today. I love productivity books. Um, so I'm, I, I I think I tried to cover podcast one season, but I wonder if that episode got cut. So I might have to come back to it, but this one is, I'm going to, I'm going to cover Tim Challey's book, Do More Better, a practical guide to productivity. So if you get into the world of productivity, it's a wonderful world of tools to help you be more efficient with your time. But most of them are plagued with a secular performance sort of worldview. It's not like bad. It's just like four-hour work week. That book was fascinating. 
lots of really intriguing uh, tips for how to get stuff done and be efficient and totally driven by fleshly motivation. I want to work less. I want to be happy. I want to do what I want to do. So here's how to do it. Like really bad theology. Um, Tim Challies is a blogger. Uh, he's pretty well known. And he read a bunch of productivity books and then he brought the scriptures into it. And so I like his book. It starts off with this, uh, it's kind of like a catechism sort of thing of like, why would you be productive? And then the second half is, here's some really practical tips. Now, everyone says you got to read the why first and then go to the how. In this book, if you start the why and you're like kind of bored, jump to the how. You'll immediately see the practical relevance, but then here's why you're going to miss out if you don't understand the why. You're going to get really good at being productive, and eventually you're going to start being efficient, and then you're going to wonder why you're working to be this efficient. And sometimes you can get really efficient in doing the wrong thing, and he's trying to prevent that. But it's it's great. There's gems. So this I'm going to share one one little quote from it. He totally like shot me through the heart on this one because this is me. He's talking about email, and he says uh, a lot of times part of the reason we're not productive is we handle our email wrong. We leave all of our emails in our inbox. We don't do anything with them, and then our inbox is huge. What you should do is he has this way of like you archive it or you deal with it or whatever, and I don't practice it, and I should. But his illustration here is good. He says, imagine if you treated your actual physical mailbox like you treat your email. Here's how it would go. You walk outside to check your mail. You reach into your mailbox. Sure enough, you've got new mail. You take out one of your letters. You open it up and begin to read it. You get about halfway through and realize it's not that interesting. You stuff it back in the envelope and you put it back in the mailbox, muttering, I'll deal with this one later. You open the next letter and find that's a little bit more interesting, but you do the same thing. You stuff it back in the envelopes and you put it back inside your mailbox. Other mail you pull out and don't even bother reading. It just goes straight back inside the mailbox. And sure enough, your mailbox is soon crammed full of a combination of hundreds of unopened and unread physical letters, plus hundreds of opened and read partially read letters. But it gets worse. You don't just use your mailbox to receive and hold letters, but you also track your calendar items. And he goes on and on. And it's a really good illustration. So the book is just really practical. If you've not read any productivity books, I'd recommend it. I'd give it a five on the Think Lean's Goods and Scale. I'm actually really particular about my emails. And it really stresses me out. when, like, I, I view it in quantities of 50 like the other day I had like 170 emails in my inbox and it was like destroying my psyche. <laughs> like I couldn't, I couldn't handle anything. I was like, I have to go back. And I, I literally Friday, like I had to take a Friday afternoon and I was like, I am not going to go home until I have categorized every one of these emails. And I have like 30 tabs. I star things that have to do's and then I make like a handwritten list. And then it's like, now I can sleep tonight. It was it was affecting me for like two days. It was really bothersome. So that was, that was good. I like that. That was a good illustration. I feel really good about myself because I don't do any of that stuff. <laughs> I have 1,106 emails in my inbox, Charlie. Wow, you have a problem. You really need to take well, that to heart. the problem is I send That's up, 20 like, segments of 50, Andy. <laughs> so I have like Domino's Pizza, Crossway. I've got a bunch of advertisements. Spam? And so it all filters. Unsubscribe! It. 
You just unsubscribe there's a Domino's coupon, Charlie? I know. I subscribe, too, to the Domino's thing, but I just archive them all the time. Yeah, I don't I, keep them I in I my inbox. Get, see, this thing is, is Google a, has this thing that partitions the one that really matters, so it's not yeah. like I have that many that really matter, yeah. but I just wanted to see your face. Look at him. Tim, he's, like, sweating over there. <laughs> he's turning red. Oh. You, should, you should let him manage your, your email inbox. <laughs> I don't know. It might be bad I'll for him. I'll do it for $1 million. <laughs> Okay, Tim, what book do you have? Okay, so I was I was with my kids and I was uh, uh, in my office. And I was like, I just want to read something fun. So yesterday I grabbed Robinson Crusoe, um, the, the Life and Adventures of Robinson Crusoe by Daniel Defoe. I've never read it. It's kind of a classic. And um, so I started it yesterday. I'm only at like the third chapter. I got an old printing of it. It's actually one of those old books that kind of creaks and crumbs, you know. If your sinuses are nice and clear and you're breathing really well, just give that thing a good whiff and then they oh. won't anymore. You're kidding, man. <laughs> this thing's beautiful, but that smells. <laughs> it's not that bad, but it's illustrated. And uh, um, so I, I was even thinking of reading it to my kids. Kind of interesting so far just how the father-son dynamic of the characters. He actually has a good father that's giving him wise advice and he's rejecting it. So uh, that's about all that I'm at right now with it. That's a really cool. Actually, the styling of the book is really cool. Yeah, I think somebody, um, we get donations at the bookstore all the time. And so I um, got first dibs on it. That happens sometimes. Okay, well, so let's jump into, they're still looking at this book. Andy's it's like really inspecting good. it. It's, it's There's some illustrations in that though. Yeah, 1946 here. Yeah, that's what nice. I say. How old yeah. is it? 1946 printing. Yeah, the person that did the illustrations was having a tough time during the Depression, and so they took up various whatever. So I can't Books remember. Books are so fascinating. They are like historical pieces. Mm. This thing really is. It's like a little piece of history right here. Yeah, that's why um, I wanted that one, not the, you know, five ninety nine paperback jumper. reprint. That's a piece of trash. Speaking of books that we love, <laughs> I have this book called The Four Loves by C.S. Lewis. How's Great. that for a segue? Beautiful. Master of the segue, Charlie. <laughs> And I don't think we need any more memes. Well, I don't know. I'm always up for memes of you and a segue. So we've we've brought this, I believe we've brought this book up before on the podcast. And if you happen to own a Thinkling's mug, the quote that is on the mug, which maybe I shouldn't broadcast this publicly, is actually from this book. No, it's okay. Why not? It's okay. <clears throat> it's such C.S. a good C.S. Lewis quote. Foundation, if you're listening to this, uh, give me a phone call. So... <laughs> The, the quote on our mug is from the chapter in The Four Loves about friendship. It says, the little knots of friends who turn their backs on the world are those who really transform it. And so uh, really the foundation of what we're doing on our podcast is from a quote in this book. We, we love books and we like to talk about books and we like to write and read and think. And so we do that together. And that is uh, a way that we're turning our backs on the world and uh, hoping to produce something that is transformative. And we believe in this mm -hmm. community, like what we have with one another. And we're trying to encourage you to create your own little group of friends. And that's the way that the world can be changed as we center around one another and the word and the Lord. And the, uh, the abbreviations on the book, on the mug are CSL. And of course that stands for C.S. Lewis. And my kids saw CSL and they're like, what's CSL? I'm like, Oh, Carter, Stearns, and Little. It was a yeah. wonderful day. It was really funny. But that's Wait, that's not, not what it's... Well, isn't that what it actually is? It's a 
Stop okay, it. Okay, so let me get into the book here. Let me get into the book. So the the quote that we were just mentioning is from the chapter on friendship. And what he does is it's he talks about four types of love. And he builds these types of love after the Greek terms. But in English, those four types of love are affection, friendship, eros, and charity. And uh, so he's talking about types of love that you may experience or strive for in your life. And uh, it's not an overly theological uh, book. It's it's not like he's exegeting passages to get you to think about what the scriptures say about love. But he is very theological in his thinking, if I can distinguish the two from each other. And actually, the very first words in the book is where he's actually quoting First uh, John chapter 4. And so page number one of the introduction, he just quotes, God is love, says St. John. And what he goes on to describe is that he thought he could define and describe love to you purely from that one statement, God is love. And so from there, he's going to set out to give his whole treatise on love. And he actually, as you read through the introduction, he's like, well, it's kind of more complicated than that. <laughs> and um, which, you know, not he's not disparaging scripture, but he's just trying to maybe outline and, and give the parameters of what love looks like on a human level. And that's where he comes into problems is that he's taking a statement that says God is love and then trying to take that and define love in human terms. And as he logically takes the ideas of love uh, down the roads of thought, he's coming with some paradoxes and some um, kind of contradictions. And so he's, he's just trying to talk about all of these things. And there was an idea in the introduction that kind of piqued my interest this past week that I want to talk about. And so to get there, let's just kind of outline his introduction. He starts off by this God is love. He starts talking about really how do you define and describe it. And then he starts defining love in two ways. He calls one type of love gift love, where like you're loving someone by gifting something to them, not necessarily a material, but it's something where you're giving to the other person. That's a form of love. And then the second is a need love, where instead of giving something, you're actually going to receive. And his kind of his example of that, which he then ties to us and God, is like a child running to the arms of his mother and how we are very much like that in our relationship with God is that we, in our love of God, it's not a gift love. (laughs) We're not giving the infinite, all-powerful, perfect God anything in an expression of love. Our first real expression of love to God is, God, I have nothing and I need you. So he starts off there. So there's a gift love and a need love. But then he draws another distinction and he calls this like nearness of God by likeness and nearness of God by approach. And and the idea here is if we're trying to emulate love, we want to be like God, but there's different ways of being like God. You can be near to God in likeness. And what, what he kind of talks about is like an image of God discussion. Like we were created, quote unquote, like him. We think, we feel, et cetera. And he's like, but you were given that and you had no, you had no say in it. You could be like God in your image of God as a human and you could be unthankful. So just to be like God in that created essence is not to be love like God is love because that's just something that you were given. And actually all of creation bears in some way, uh, some resemblances of God, even creation speaks of who he is, but it's inanimate. So like 
that's kind of one idea is that you can have this nearness to God just by likeness, but you're really not participating in that. But what he exalts as the better option is the nearness of God by approach. And this is where you actually slowly and painfully draw nearer to God in, and I would say in sanctification. He does use the word sanctification in the introduction. And, and that's where he gets to this really interesting point in his introduction, talking about love. So he's, he's kind of defined there's a difference between gift love and there's a difference between need love and there's a difference between being near to God and just being like him and there's, a, and there's being near to God and approaching him, like drawing closer to God's character, which is love. And, and I would say that is what discipleship and sanctification really is, is, is becoming like Christ and he says that's what really what the target is, is to be near him by approaching him, not just to be like him in essence, like in created essence. So then he starts talking about this, and I just want to read some things here. And there's kind of a lengthy, it's, if you, it's just this really janky paperback copy. It's pages 8, 9, and a little bit of 10 is kind of where we are if you want to get this and read through it. Um, I can't really read all of it, but here's here's one quote. He's talking about, so he's, he's talked about those different distinctions of love. And now he's going to kind of bring up how love can become like an idol. And he says this. He's quoting a modern author of his time. And this is the quote. Love ceases to be a demon only when it ceases to be a god. And he goes on, which of course can be restated in the form be, begins to be a demon the moment he begins to be a god. This balance seems to me an indispensable safeguard. If we ignore it, if we ignore it, the truth that God is love may slyly come to mean for us the converse that love is God. And so I think the idea that he's trying to zero in on is that in our pursuit of love, we can actually pursue some good things. We can love things that are right to love. But as I pursue them, as I see them as becoming a noble or admirable love in my life, they can actually become idolatrous. And loving a good thing too much would mean that I'm actually not loving properly. And he, he kind of just goes down that road a little bit. And uh, I'll read a little bit more. And he's speaking of these types of loves, loves that become like a God to us. He says, this is page nine. Our loves do not make their claim to divinity until they claim until the claim becomes plausible. It does not become plausible until there is in them a real resemblance to God, to love himself. Let us here make no mistake, our gift loves are really godlike, and among our gift loves those are most godlike which are most boundless and unwearied in giving. All the things the poets say about them are true, their joy, their energy, their patience, their readiness to forgive, their desire for the good or for the beloved. All this is real and all but adorable image of the divine life. And this is a real and all but adorable image of divine life. I'm getting caught up on my own words there. In its presence, we are right to thank God who has given, us such, has given such power to men. We may say quite truly and in an intelligible sense that those who, are, who love greatly are near to God. But of course, it is nearness by likeness. It will not of itself produce nearness of approach. The likeness has been given us. It has no necessary connection with that slow and painful approach, which must be our own, 
though by no means our unaided task. Meanwhile, however, the likeness is a splendor. That is why we may mistake like for same. We may give our human loves the unconditional allegiance which we owe only to God. Then they become gods, then they become demons. Then they will destroy us and also destroy themselves. For natural loves that are allowed to become gods do not remain loves. They are still called so, but can become, in fact, complicated forms of hatred. That's complex. And so here's what I think he's saying. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to definitely read in my own sanctification theology to this, which, you know, if it was the Bible, authorial intent would mean much more to me. But yeah, it's Lewis. It's Lewis. So here's, I think, and this is this is something that's true in, in your own walk of sanctification. Horrendous. I, just, I predict a Philistine comment coming our way from my friend in Georgia, Charlie. Bring it on, baby. Bring it on. <laughs> so here's, here's what I think that what is important here is that you can actually love something that is right to love. But the moment that you love it more than you're supposed to, rather than being a way that you're imitating God, it's actually being a way, it becomes a way that you're being driven away from God. So we should have like properly ordered loves? Yeah. And I would even say, but the, the problem with properly ordered affections is they don't just happen on their own. You have to be keenly aware of the things that you're loving. And I would say that awareness which he actually uses the term awareness multiple times in that introduction, that awareness of my own desires within me is a key first step in sanctification. You don't just wake up and it happens. You have to actually be aware of what you're feeling and what you're thinking and beneath what you're thinking and beneath what you're feeling or your attitude, your emotion is actually a desire. And if you can't discern the loves that are really driving you, eventually those loves can actually drive you farther away from God, not closer to him. And that's actually our natural bent as sinful humans is not to just naturally draw closer to God. It's actually to draw farther away and make gods out of things, worship things that are not meant to be worshiped. So I don't know. That was kind of my interpretation of that. What do you think? Well, actually that, so I was trying to unpack that because that is that's a dense paragraph right there. Meaty. It is meaty. That's like uh, you know, digging apart the ribs as you're, you know, going through the baby back ribs there or something. Something where you gotta like eat it more than just jello. But um, yeah, that was a bad metaphor. But you know, whatever. It reminds <laughs> me of his essay, First Things. So he has an essay where he talks about there's first things and second things, and a lot of times you need to keep the first things first because when you aim at a second thing, you lose both the second thing and the first thing. And That's he's, good. He's riffing off of seek ye first the kingdom of God and all those things will be added unto you. And his point is a lot of times we think we seek after the, all these things and we don't get them because the only way to get them is to seek after God and then God supplies them to us. And so he's saying, unless you seek the first thing first, you lose both the first and the second thing. And it almost sounds like he's saying that with love right here. There are ways we can rightly love things that's okay, but when we love those things more than we ought to, we then they, they then become something that's like not just okay, not okay anymore. It becomes like a thing that actually actively pulls us away from God. It almost is this just talking about idolatry? Yeah. I is mean, this essentially what he's talking about? I, I think so. Well, and, and I think that's what's so tricky about it is because you think about the things he mentions, the four types of loves. Who would 
who would look at friendship and call it bad? But can you love a friend too much where it actually becomes harmful to you? And, and I actually, I tried to frame this in the life of a college student. And what are the things that as a college student are really, really good, but if they become too much for you, become idolatrous, they'll actually consume you. What are those things? Uh, as a teacher, I'm going to say grades. Grades, homework. Uh, for young men, I don't want to you know, isolate the young women, but it becomes for guys like who am I dating mm-hmm. yep. or who do I, which, which girl do I like? And then for guys, it also becomes who are my friends and what do they think of me? Mm-hmm. And, and in those, is it, is it wrong for a guy to want to be married? Well, no, it's no. God's design for most But if that people. drives everything mm-hmm. he does, that love becomes hate and it doesn't fill the satisfaction of the heart. And those grades, like, oh, I have to succeed, I have to succeed. Yeah. Is that wrong? They just need to take Greek. <laughs> <laughs> that will cure you of your 4.0. <laughs> yes, it will. But that that's someone who could be driven by that. Yeah. And that love, which isn't wrong in and of itself, actually becomes something that consumes them. And then especially with friendships, I think in college, I mean, the people you spend your time with form you. Yes. And and I don't think people realize how the hours they spend in nonsensical game and, and f- like conversation with their buddies actually shapes them for the like next 10 years of their life and how that can be an idolatrous pursuit. And it feels like it's helping you draw closer to God, but it's actually it could be indulging a very fleshly, natural love, which could be leading you farther from the spirit. And, uh, you know, as someone who works in a student life department, you know, we never interact with things like this, do we? Uh, every day. But I don't know. What do you guys think about that? I just, I remember uh, sitting in a class with Dr. Newman back in the day. And it was, I think it was maybe my first take at understanding the depth of how, like well, how idolatry works. It was a counseling class. And uh, I kept being confused. They would talk about this. We had the case studies and this person in this case study would be doing something that's not necessarily wrong, but it would be the source of their problems. And I was, I was trying to understand this because I had a very simplistic view of sin and it, it dawned, I think it dawned on me and I realized, oh, so like that's wrong. That's not wrong, but the problem is that it's a terrible thing to live your life for. Like you should only live your life for God, but you shouldn't live it for all these other things. It sounded like it really is the first thing, second things idea. I, I think of I just, on a college campus, like, what's your career? You know, all those things you just said, like, you can live for those yeah. things. And they're, you know, not the primary thing. Tim, you're looking at you're looking at your Bible. Where are you at? The Old Testament, of course. Oh. No, I'm just thinking through um, Isaiah 40 through uh, 49, which the big point of that is it just exalts God and it puts him on the throne. It's, it really um, brings out the transcendence of God. Uh, and then it, it, it compares God to the deities of um, the children of Israel's day and how they can't do anything and that they are nothing uh, in comparison to God. And that's a frequent refrain throughout Isaiah 40 through uh, 49. It might even extend beyond it, but um that these deities and everything, that they are absolutely nothing in comparison to God. Um, so I think that's just like a substantiation of kind of what you're saying here in this um, 
and what Lewis is saying here in the four loves. I was trying to find the exact spot in the text, but I, I haven't found it here. You you put me on the well, spot. Well, actually, too soon. I think I can wrap us up with this Psalm one fifteen here, and this this is what I was thinking of. Was he he talks about the idols of the nations, and he says, "Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens; He does all that He pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands." They have mouths, but do not speak, eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel, feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. And I think the key for someone worshiping an idol is that they're lifeless. You could actually be bound up in something you think is okay to love, but it's an empty pursuit. And what will it do to you is it will leave you empty. And then right after that refrain, what does the psalmist say? Oh, Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Oh, house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. And so as you think about what you love, you really need to make sure you're loving God first. You know, and that, is the, that isn't the Shema. Shema is here. But right after here, it is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so that, that's what I was thinking as I was reading through the four loves in that introduction is as a part of my sanctification, I need to be active in awareness of what I love. And if I'm loving something that is okay to love, but I'm loving it too much, that's still something I need to turn away from. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings Podcast.